up everyone so i'm back now with misconceptions on christianity part two episode two whatever you want to call it and just for those of you who are new to this this series is pretty much uh it's kind of like a theological teaching session i don't have a degree in theology or anything but i think that every christian should know a form of theology if you're going to you know actually be a christian um in that case you have to know the god that you're serving and I've realized that there's a lot of misconceptions on the Christian um, belief. Um, and I've realized also that a lot of people do not really either respect Christians or even want to become a Christian because of a lot of the misconceptions and misrepresentations and just misunderstandings that a lot of people have. So I just want to say that my mission with these videos, with this video series, is not necessarily to coerce my religion on you, my faith on you, my beliefs on you. Um, that's never my intention, but more so of to help everyone understand where Christians are coming from, where what Christians believe, so they can have a more open mindset as to, oh, even though I'm not a Christian, or even though I don't really want to claim Christianity, at least now I understand why they believe what they believe. And I personally, I think that that's how um, everybody in the world should be like. We should, we should learn to understand each other's values. We should learn to understand each other's perspectives. Um, and we should learn to be able to agree to disagree, but at least be able to debate and argue other people's side. Um, so even when it comes to things such as like Satanism, for example, I am in no way a Satanist. Um, I'm not a Muslim. Um, I'm not Hindu. I'm not Buddhist, whatever other faiths and beliefs there are. However, um, because of what I've read about them, because of what I've learned, because of people that I've spoke to who actually are of those faiths, I sat down to be able to understand, I asked questions, and even though I do not agree with them, I could at least explain from their perspective why they believe what they believe, and then I can respect that. So in the same sense, that's pretty much my goal for these videos, that people will leave being like, oh, well, now I no longer um, decided not to be a Christian just because they hate homosexuals, which is not true, and that's gonna be in episode three. We're gonna talk about that because each video is getting deeper and deeper, but yeah, without further ado, I have four or five questions today that I'm going to be reading off of, and they are, what is the trinity? Why is yoga wrong? What does it mean to be created in God's image? Why should Christians wait to have sex? And is Christianity the white man's religion? So, I hope that you guys enjoy this video, and be sure to remember that you can always stop it, <laughs> go live life, come back, and then start resuming to watch. Um, but yeah, without further ado, let's get jump into it. Or, let's jump into it. Okay, so first question, what is the Trinity? Now, I have a lot to say about this, but um, I think the first thing that I'm going to actually do is read the Bible, which is always the best thing to do. And um, that passage is actually going to be taken. I got my Bible right here um, from Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So from this passage alone, we see that God, the Father, God, the entity, God, the deity, um, is speaking in a sort of plural sense. He says words like us, our, and it clearly says that God is speaking. So who is he referring to um, when he says our or us? Well, this is where tr Trinitarian belief comes in. In simpler terms, I see the Trinity sort of like how we see the branches of the government. So you have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branch. And all three of these branches do different things, but they're all equal in power. And together, we call that government. 
the government. Now, the Trinity can also be likened to, I've seen it um, metaphor, metaphorically likened to an egg, where you have pretty much the outer shell, and then you have the, um, the egg whites, and then you have the yolk, but then all together, it's still called an egg. Um, and so in those senses, uh, the Trinity is pretty much one God wrapped up in three. And that's where things can kind of get like tricky because, you know, people think like, oh, so you're worshiping uh, 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 Christianity is polytheistic. Uh, you guys are worshiping more than one God. No, not necessarily. Um, because Jesus said um, in Matthew that I and my father are one. Jesus also stated in Matthew 28 verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so I find that very interesting because Jesus himself being the Son, he says to his disciples and pretty much all of us Christians to go out and to pretty much win over people to God's side, uh, win, win, redeem their souls back to God in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which all together makes up what we call God. And Jesus stated uh, many times in the Bible that I and my Father are one. So he, he was actually crucified because he was specifically claiming numerous times throughout Scripture, I am God. There's another scripture in Luke 4, 17 to 21, which I'm going to read in a moment. But pretty much, Jesus was pretty much at church, at the temple in Nazareth. And he read a scripture from what we now know as Isaiah. And it was a prophecy. And this is what it said. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he was anointed me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, this is the best part, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And then verse 22 says, they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? I sort of want to keep on going with that verse, but um, you guys can go ahead. Maybe this is an urgency to go, you know, go read it yourself. But yes, from that verse, you clearly see that Jesus pretty much read <laughs> the words of the prophet Isaiah. And he, after he read it to everyone, he's like... <clears throat> Just so you guys know, um, what was just read on to you as of today has been fulfilled. I am God. No Kanye West. No, but seriously, Jesus claims to be God. He claimed to be, like, not only was he the son of God, but he claimed that him and God were equal. And then on top of that, you see a lot of scripture based on the Holy Spirit as well. And I want to highly, highly, highly recommend anyone who has not seen this movie, who has not read this book, go watch the movie. Go read the book. Um, the movie is absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. Um, and this movie is The Shack. Um, I believe that The Shack shows a very, very, very profound fashion of exemplifying how the Trinity is pretty much displayed um in the shack i'm not gonna put any spoilers but pretty much dude hangs out with the trinity for a weekend and it shows the different flavors from each the father the son and the holy spirit however at the end of the day they're still all equal and in the same sense um i guess this is, this is also going into another video but um because they're all equal in that sense, it's just like how, um, although God the Father, like, although Jesus submits to God the Father and the Holy Spirit most likely submits to Jesus, 
just like a wife is supposedly supposed to submit to her husband in the Bible, they're still all equal. Just because one submits to you does not mean that, oh, you are higher than they are. They're still all equal. So that's pretty much how the Trinity is seen. And um, if you guys have any questions on that, um, anything that you want me to clarify, then you can go ahead and drop those in the comments respectfully. Um, let's make this a discussion. So the next question, what's the big deal about yoga? Why is yoga wrong for a Christian to do? Um, this is a very good question uh, because it was something that actually caught me off guard when I first realized that. I was like, really? Yoga? Because it's so prominent and it's so, you know, popular in today's world um, that one person would not, nobody would really think that deep into it. Um, but apparently, there is a lot of implications to it, especially with where it's rooted. And I'm going to shed some light onto that first off by reading um, something in my Bible. So I have an apologetic study Bible. And this was actually one of the things in the apologetic study Bible. And I already knew that, you know, yoga was, you know, not of God, um, not biblical um, before getting this Bible, but it was um, pretty handy to, you know, have it here. So I'm just going to read it out loud. Yoga is so popular today that you can see yoga videos, clothes, or mats almost everywhere you go. Many people say yoga is just an exercise that makes your body flexible and strong, and no doubt it can do those things for you. However, yoga was not designed to be a form of exercise. Rather, yoga is an essential part of Hindu religion. Yoga means to unite with, and the goal of all forms of yoga is to unite with the Hindu concept of the absolute, their main god. Yoga was brought to the West by the Hindu teachers and gurus who wanted to spread their religious beliefs. Hatha yoga, the most popular form of yoga in the West, is a discipline of the body and mind used to prepare people to undertake more advanced forms of yoga. Hatha comes from the words for sun and moon, representing opposites that are united and transcended in yoga devotion. Hence, religion is at the core of yoga. Can yoga be done for mere exercise? The problem is that Hatha yoga is not merely a physical practice. The positions in yoga are designed to enhance the flow of a mythical energy which Hindus call Kundalini. This energy is supposedly coiled snake-like at the bottom of the spine and is said to awaken through yoga and other techniques so that it can move to the top of the head through invisible chakras, which are thought to be wheels of energy. It is believed that this process brings spiritual cleansing, knowledge, and understanding. Some yoga positions honor Hindu gods. The breathing techniques, pranayama, are based on a belief that prana is the sacred breath of the universe. And pranayama is designed to get the mind into a non-thinking state. The goal of yoga meditation is not to think but to transcend thinking since Hinduism believes that the active mind is a barrier to knowing God. Yoga is designed as a method to understand the Hindu concepts of self and God. In contrast, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 verse 6. Yoga does not bring true knowledge of self or God. Nor does it bring anyone close to God, Jesus said. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Matthew eleven twenty nine. We are to yoke, which is unite, ourselves to Jesus through faith, not seek connection to another spiritual source through practices such as yoga. Jesus alone paid the penalty for our sins and open the way to lasting peace and rest. Hebrews chapter four. Yoga as part of a non-Christian religion should not be blended with Christianity. Jesus said that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John four twenty four. In other words, 
How we worship and honor God is important. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Therefore, how we use our bodies matters to God. You don't need yoga to find the truth about God. Instead, God promises you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. So that was just a lot of reading, but hopefully you guys can get a much better grasp and a much better sense of the dangers of practicing yoga. And I think that the only thing that I'll add on to that is I read a book called He Came to Set the Captives Free. And long story short, like very long story short, it is pretty much about a witch not only just any witch, a true story about a woman named Elaine who used to be a part of the occult, you know, a Satanist. And she was not only, like I said, just any witch, but she was apparently Satan's top bride. As in she li literally <laughs> had sex with Satan because they can manifest in a physical form. Um, so she had sex with Satan numerous times. Um, she would physically see him. She would hang out with him. All of that. And eventually, long story short, she got saved due to Rebecca, um, a Christian who Elaine was sent to kill by Satan. And in the process, God being so good, ended up saving Elaine and Rebecca was used by God to protect Elaine. And so it's a very fascinating story. It's a very great story, a true story. And I highly recommend that everybody um, go and check that book out. I've read that book about twice. I used to be freaked out the first time I watched it. I couldn't even sleep in the same room with it until a certain page, which is a story for another day. But um, yeah, it's just such a beautiful book. And in that book, Elaine exposes a lot of the secrets of the occult. And one of the things that Elaine exposed is that things such as acupuncture, um, checking your horoscope, um, and even things such as yoga, um, and that type of meditation of clearing your mind is dangerous and it actually opens up doors for demons and evil spirits to enter your life and cause havoc. And so I just highly recommend to all of you, and there's a verses in the Bible that go against things such as like astrology and horoscopes and like all of that. So for those of you who are Christians, um, I just highly urge you to try and abstain from those type of things. Um, and for those of you who are not Christians, um, you might be looking, thinking like, oh, you guys are very superstitious. This is very stupid. Uh, but as long as you can at least understand where we're coming from, you do what you want to do. That's fine. But this is just what we believe. And this is just the faith that we have. And um, hopefully you can at least be respectful of that. And if you have a Christian friend, then you won't try and like coerce them into or guilt them into any type of practices that goes against what they value. So what does it mean to be created in God's image? This is a very good question because to be honest, I've always heard this for years and I never really quite grasped what exactly that meant until actually just this semester um, when my theology teacher, I'm in Theology 202 and I love my professor, he's an INTP, um, he just speaks so uh, he, like it intelligently and he just clearly knows what he's talking about. I actually had that class today, um, 345 and so uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to read a verse that I actually read earlier on for the first question, but I'm going to read a few more verses. And this one will be taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. So one quick note at the bottom of my Bible says, although humans are created in the image and likeness of God, the terms are essentially synonyms. Um, it does not follow that God has a body. 
image or likeness often refers to a physical representation of something that may be non-material. Humans were created to serve as God's representative to govern the earth. So essentially, what my Bible is saying is that to be created in the image of God means that the way that God rules us as humans and ultimately the world, we are to rule the world in that sense. And I think that that's a very good explanation, but I love what my theology uh, professor actually did. So one day in class, my theology professor um, randomly had a mirror. And as he was explaining the image of God to us, he said that when God created human beings, when he created Adam, when he created Eve, um, man, uh, he looked into the mirror and he was pretty much like, yeah, this is me. He created us as a reflection of himself. However, after Adam and Eve pretty much ate the fruit, sinned against God, then they shattered the mirror. They shattered that reflection because now they sinned. They were no longer perfect and holy such as God is, but now they had distorted their image. And this was represented by my teacher. Nobody knew where the hammer came from, <laughs> but apparently he had the mirror like that, swung the hammer and broke the mirror. I was actually gonna represent that here, but I don't feel like buying a mirror just to sweep it all up. I do not know how many times my teacher probably had to do that for his classes, but it worked. It got everybody's attention. And this was the crazy part. So like I said, God created us in his image, looks into the mirror, is like, yes, this is good. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and pretty much shatters the, uh, uh, the mirror. And now God looks back into the mirror and he cannot really clearly see himself as well as he did before because his image is now distorted because of the reflection that we're now giving off due to the sin that we have created. However, once Jesus came and died for us after living a perfect life because Jesus is God, Jesus is the son of God, he is part of the Trinity, um, which is all equal as stated before, Jesus lived a perfect life, came, died for our sins, and now anybody who actually believes that Jesus died for our sins and resurrected on the third day after dying from uh, of our sins, for our sins, pretty much now has Jesus's perfect record replace our imperfect record. God no longer looks at our sin. He no longer looks at us as sinners who do not deserve grace. But because of what Jesus did, he took our place, bars. And now God is able to look at us and see Jesus, his son. He looks right back and he sees Jesus's mirror pretty much reflecting back like, okay, now I'm seeing my reflection again. And behind that mirror, is our shattered mirror, but because Jesus is now helping us, then we are pretty much, and this is where my um, theology professor like really blew my mind. We're going through this sanctification process where we're pretty much picking up those broken pieces and putting them back in the right place on our mirror. And even then, God still could look into our mirror and although he sees more of his reflection because we have now been redeemed and we've been working on ourselves, even then, it's still a difference between a broken, shattered mirror and a regular, perfectly cleaned, uh, unshattered mirror. Um, and those of you who have broken iPhones or broken phones at all, you guys know what I mean. Um, and so we still are not necessarily being represented in the way that God would have liked for us to be represented. However, because of Jesus's help um, and restoring us and redeeming us, once we die and once God does come back, once Jesus does come back and we go and complete this glorification process and we are now whisked away to be with God for all eternity in heaven, um, which is supposedly supposed to be greater than anything that we could possibly imagine here on earth, um, by then we will now uh, actually be created in God's image. We will now we will now have our original form that Adam and Eve had restored back to us. 
And so for the time being, what we're doing is pretty much replacing those um, mirror pieces. And this is coming through, becoming more like Jesus every single day. And so there's some Bible verses that I'd like to read about that before we move on. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17 says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 states, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins. He sat down at the end, at the right hand of the majesty on high. So from these verses, we can conclude that Jesus is immaculate. Jesus is perfect. He's created in God's image. And from that, we can also conclude that because Jesus is created in God's image, and just like as we are, but he is the unshattered version of that. And he's also God himself being the son of God as well. Then we now can look at these next verses to conclude something else. Romans 8 verse 29 states, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Colossians 3, 9-10 states, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And finally, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 states, You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. So all of this to say that once we shattered this mirror, we are now pretty much looking at Jesus, our model, to become more and more like him every single day. And the Christian walk, the Christian life, is literally all about to become more Christ-like. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus behave in this situation? Let's adopt Jesus's mindset. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you were born this way, well, that's why God says to be born again. And will this, does this mean that we'll ever sin, that we'll never sin again? No, this does not mean that. I sin all the time. <laughs> but, it, it, as a human being, of course. Ugh. No, you will not just never sin anymore. However, you will now have a heart that, want, that desires to do right, that desires to actually be cleansed, that desires to actually stop sinning and continue to press forth and become more like Jesus. And in doing so, you pretty much now begin to resemble that um, original form that we had of being the perfect image of God. So now for the question that a lot of people ask and a lot of people have been waiting on. Why should Christians wait till marriage to have sex? First off, I just want to say that sex is beautiful. Sex was created by God as a gift for a husband and a wife to unwrap together and then enjoy together and have pleasure. However, I'm not even intending to rhyme and that's just what's happening. But however, if you two are not married, you're pretty much stealing that gift from somebody's future husband, from somebody's future wife, even if they're giving it to you. Because on in that case, it's not even really theirs to give because the Bible states 
that once you two become married, your body belongs to your husband and your husband's body belongs to uh, his wife. So in actuality, and that, that doesn't mean in like a slave type of way, but more as in like you two are deciding to be selfless for one another and to become one together. And so I just want to banish any type of mindsets that people have like, oh my gosh, sex is taboo. Stop. Don't say that word. Yes, in some instances, in some areas, it is inappropriate, but you have to also remember that um, the Bible speaks of sex a lot, and it can get very descriptive. If you don't know this, you can go and read Ezekiel um, chapter 13, I believe. It gets very descriptive over there that I'm not even going to uh, give the example of. You can read for yourself, um, but sex is not bad. Sex is not evil. In fact, God calls sex, and I'll put all these verses like in the description, by the way, for those of you who will not probably aren't able to keep up or doesn't have a Bible in front of you. God literally refers to sex as the greatest pleasure on earth that is the closest uh, any human can get to experiencing the full magnitude of being in his actual presence. Like we, we are in his presence here on earth, but he pretty much likens sex to uh, the pleasure of being in his full presence. Um, and so sex is a beautiful thing. And I want people to understand that it is not taboo. Christians do not hate sex. Um, and without it, we couldn't reproduce anyway. But now I'm going to explain to you why God said that we should wait until marriage to have sex. So I'm going to be reading from Proverbs 7, 21 up till 27. And um, this is the story of a seductress, pretty much. And the way that I see this is pretty much how a lot of us, including myself, have been kind of enticed, seduced um, with the thoughts like, I mean, is sex before marriage really that big of a deal? Is sex before marriage really that bad? Um, and I want to show you what exactly is going on. Proverbs 7, 21. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Clearly, from what we read over here, sex is a big deal. Premarital sex is a big deal. And I want to clarify that just because it refers to the seductress, you know, as a woman and everything, this does not mean that it cannot go both ways. In fact, a lot of times it definitely goes the opposite way. Um, it's the woman who's trying to reserve or preserve herself until marriage. And the man is like, you know, kind of enticing her. And eventually he weakens her down. If you are in this position with someone or with people Make sure to stay in your word. Make sure to stay encouraged. Make sure to remind yourself of the consequences that could come after this. And there's so many. I actually wrote a whole blog called Sex. And in that blog, I go into detail about why sex before marriage is not, is not something that God recommends to us. And um, I highly recommend that you still go and read that after I state a lot of the things I'm about to state. But number one, as you can see, Proverbs 7 states that this type of seduction, she, she's, it's like she's bringing whoever she wants as an ox who's about to be slaughtered. You're kind of like following, the image that comes to my mind is literally like being, uh, like following a, a siren. I don't know if any of you guys have watched um, Courage the Cowardly Dog, 
but there was this mermaid uh, that used to always uh, try and seduce Eustace. Like she would come up from the bathtub or from random places of water and she would be like, Eustace. And he's like, Arr! and he's like following her. worry about you Eustace. Finally one day she kidnaps him and she's like dancing for him and seducing him. Yes, this is a kid's show. Finally, right before she's about to snap, as in literally she was about to eat him, then courage saved Eustace, but she transformed. And this is kind of how sex before marriage is like. It's going to seem very appealing to you at first, but it is going to take you to your death grave. And think about it. This is just like the first sin. See, I often say that a lot of people think that what Adam and Eve went through was very easy. God said that you can eat of any tree in the garden for as much as you like, except that specific one. Seems easy. However, Eve and Adam both still went to that one tree because of what Satan, the serpent, told them. Did God really say that you can't eat from the tree? Did God really, is this really that big of a deal? You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not. I do kind of like want to be like God. Now, Eve was all of a sudden thinking she wanted, she believes that she knew more than God. And she wanted to know more than God. She wanted to be more wise than God was. And in doing that, she ate of the fruit. So did Adam. They, they, they corrupted, they defiled their soul by disobeying God and listening to the serpent and eating of that fruit. And that one fruit cost them the fall of humanity. Now, like I said, a lot of people were probably like, oh, well, I mean, like, it was simple direction. Adam and Eve, I don't understand what made them go and do that. But we do the same thing. God told us, just last maybe 20, you know, 23 years, however long it is until you get married. And after you get married, you can have as much sex as you like. Matter of fact, you can continue to have as much sex as you like, and not only will I not, I will not frown upon that or anything, but instead I will applaud you for embracing the gift that I've given to you and your wife and waiting and preserving yourselves for that marriage. How many of us have already eaten that fruit? Now this isn't to guilt you, but more of just to en encourage you and to show you like this is serious like from what we read in Proverbs 7 um, I also want to read a verse from Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 5 verse 29 states this is Jesus speaking if your right eye causes you to sin gouge it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus, is it that serious? Do I really have to cut off parts of my body? Now, no. Jesus is speaking metaphorically as usual. He's pretty much saying that if someone is causing you to sin, if someone 
is if, if it's the if it's the porn from your TV, um, then make sure that you get a porn blocker. If it's uh, someone who is causing you to go out and get drunk all the time, then you need to probably cut that friend off. If it's a boyfriend or girlfriend that keeps on bringing you into bed and getting you to have sex with them, you might not you might need to leave that person. Um, if you cannot point them towards the Bible and actually have them um, respect your value of self-control because it is better for you to lose that person than to actually lose your soul in hell. It is eternally serious. Whenever you're asked, is sex before marriage that serious? Clearly, it is eternally serious, guys. 1 Corinthians six eighteen says, Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Now, I don't know all of what that means, but clearly it's distinguishing that sexual sin has its own type of essence to it that does a lot more damage than um, even some of the other sins do pretty much. Not that it's necessarily worse. Every sin is a sin. Every sin is bad. In James 2.10, it pretty much says that sin is like a, uh, a um, necklace of beads. That if you just break one, then all of them just fall apart. Because once you've sinned, you've sinned. However, this specific sin causes deep roots of damage. You do not want to get into that. I stated in the last video about jailbreaking, like how um, a lot of us think that God sets these parameters to keep us from having son. Man, God, why don't you allow me to go around and just have sex with a whole bunch of girls and everything? It's just fun, you know, it's all good, you know, like what's wrong with that? The thing is, God is not keeping us from having fun. He's trying to protect us from the dangers of this world. It's just like I said in the last video, Steve Jobs created the iPhone and then people went and started getting the jailbreaks and everything. Steve Jobs did not intend for us to jailbreak our phones. However, for those of you who did, for those who, and I actually had jailbreaked my phone at one point, so I'm not saying it's like a, a bad thing, whatever. But that's pretty much saying that, hey, I know better than you, Steve Jobs. Um, I'm adding my own little features to kind of tweak this or whatever. And then, once your phone starts acting up, <laughs> which those of you who Joe broke, we all know that our phone started to act up. All of a sudden, we're like, man, didn't your iPhone suck or whatever the case may be? It's like, no, nobody told you to go and jailbreak your phone. And David actually did a great job with this video. You guys need to go and check that out. But yes, nobody told you to go and jailbreak your phone. And then now you're coming back and blaming Steve Jobs. Do you get the metaphor? God specifically said... Don't leave the pride lands. Don't go out to where the hyenas are. Because once you go out there, my protection is not guaranteed, Simba. Mufasa speaking to Simba, God speaking to us. I'm not telling you to not leave the pride land, leave the pride lands because I don't want you to have fun. I'm trying to guarantee your protection. And like I said, there's many reasons why we should not have sex before marriage. It is that serious. Um, but the one thing that I will say is that um, once a woman has sex, a chemical from her mind, from her brain, is released. It's called oxytocin. And this chemical is released also when she gives birth. And this chemical also pretty much um, allows the woman to become connected with her baby. Now, when she has sex, this chemical releases and it forms a very, very strong bond to the person that she's having sex with, to that partner. And I've actually seen this numerous times. I'm not kidding. Uh, I have friends, uh, Christian friends, unfortunately, who have had sex. Um, and I'm not throwing shade at you guys, by the way. I'm really not. So I hope that you're not watching this and being like, wow, he's judging me or anything. No, I love y'all. Y'all know this. Um, that's why I'm not saying names. But they've had sex. Um, with partners and even a specific two of them I'm thinking of right now um, they did not even really 
love or like their partners like that much to that extent to until afterwards um, when they had sex and everything. Now both of them are utterly attached, and it's it's it it literally boggles my mind. I'm like, wow, this is the effect that sex can have. One of the people that I'm talking about, she legit did not even she did not even like this person. Like she was not attracted to him. I used to help her <laughs> in not texting this person back because he was annoying her. But one thing led to another, all of that. They ended up, you know, having sex and everything. And now for the past two months or so, um she's she actually believes that she's in love with him. And um she's not the type to just loosely just throw that word around and she's she's really bonded to that person the oxytocin was released and that formed that connection now you can imagine how helpful this would be if they were married now you have two partners who continue to draw closer and closer to each other and continue to love each other and the oxytocin as it's released not only does it make you form a tighter bond to the partner that you're having sex with, but it also allows you to see other people as less desirable. However, every time you switch partners, less oxytocin is released. And so I liken that now pretty much to a piece of tape. Oxytocin is tape. Box is the partner. Once you put one strip of tape on the box and you stick it, it's great. It works perfectly. But if you rip that tape off and put it on another box, it still works pretty well. And if you rip that tape off, put it on another box, still kind of well. And the more you just keep on going, it, soon the tape is going to lose its stickiness. You do not want to lose your stickiness because this is how you end up with people who cannot remain faithful to their wives. Or to their husbands. Sex is eternally serious. Premarital sex is eternally serious. And I think the last thing that I just want to state about that is that we put fences around gardens, not weeds. It is because sex is so sacred and so beautiful, and we want to continue to allow it to be beautiful and not manipulated and distorted and cheapened but we want it to be precious it's because of that reason that we choose to only be like hey i'm showing this i'm only giving this to you because you're my husband i'm only giving this to you because you're my wife only they're able to see that because it's that valuable but look at the world today they've distorted it they've they've they've, they've manipulated and cheapened what God called beautiful, what God gifted to a, a husband and wife. And now we have people in society like virginity is a social construct. Uh, nobody said that you don't need to have sex and everything. We've, we've, we've cheapened it. Sex is just nothing now. Let's try and get it back to it being super valuable. Personally, I'm still a virgin. And that's not me saying that I'm perfect or anything. I'm not. Because there have actually been times, and this is kind of awkward. You know, my parents are probably watching everything. But there have been times when I was younger and in high school and stuff um, that I was really close. <laughs> and I was actually considering. I was that person in Proverbs chapter 7 that's like, mm, I mean, is it really that bad? But think. You keep, keep in your word and try and remember the the severity of sex before before marriage and i just highly urge you i'm going to put links in the description this is one of those videos you must check out the description this video is already long run long enough i'm considering if i should even still address the last question um but yes go into the description check out some of the links that i have on this one and if you are one of those people who just can't get out of the sex because People, once you once you cross that line, I've seen it so many times. You become addicted. It's like having M&M's. You just keep on eating them. It, or the, those chips where it's like, bet you can't eat just one. You're not just going to have sex just once. Like, I'm never doing this again, pretty much. Um, I feel like that's very rare. 
from the friends that I've seen, they'll feel so guilty the week or two afterwards, or like the day afterwards even, but then a week or two later, then they're just like, all right, well, since I've already crossed this line, I'm just gonna keep on going. It's, it's serious, guys. I highly urge you, if you have already lost your virginity, God still forgives. And you can pray to him, you can ask him for forgiveness, and you can ask him to help you to abstain until marriage. And the longer that you're going abstaining, that stickiness starts to return back, actually. The oxytocin starts to, like, reform. But if you are a virgin, like I am, try your hardest. And not just by your own strength, but continue to pray. Continue to remind yourself of the of the not only the dangers of it, but also how beautiful it would be to be with your wife one day and be like, hey, I saved myself just for you. I did, and, and how proud God will be of you. Not that he's going to disfavor those who have already ate the fruit and slipped up or anything. Not that he's going to see you as higher, but let that just be an encouragement to you. How beautiful sex is and how God intended for it to be. Um, I could speak on this topic forever, to be honest, because it's just really like that serious. It's that big of a deal now. And like I said, it was hard for me, literally. Um, but I just highly urge all of you, all of you who really value your uh, relationship with Jesus to please continue to abstain from sex uh, before marriage. And once you get married, have lots of it. <laughs> Release that oxytocin. Get closer to your partner. And in that process, get closer to God. I think that's it. I think I'm going to save the last question. Um, is Christianity the white man's religion for the next video? Um, I apologize for that. You guys are going to have to wait until the next video to do that. But it will be quality. Um, but anyway, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this video so far. Make sure to leave comments, questions, discuss, all of that. Let's, let's be respectful, by the way, in the comments. So far, I haven't been receiving, like, disrespectful stuff. Um, and I just want to keep it that way. Like, we're all just trying to understand each other more. If you feel like I've got something wrong, um, just kindly correct me, um, and I'll be open to it. Um, I know that I'm not John Piper, <laughs> so, I, but I am doing the best that I can, and I do read up a lot and all of that. And so, yeah, I just hope that this has been a help to you, and I love you guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to watch, and I'm praying for you. Done.